Life Audio. Hey, Dr. Bill Sinyard here with Gospel Rant. We're about proclaiming God's love to the unlovable, the unloved, and the unlovely. And that's all of us, if we were to be just a little honest. Are you beginning to see changes in you, your sense of worth and value and identity? And are you needing other sources of affirmation less? Are you more free? Are you feeling like you love others a little more? That's been our goal in this series on the Song of Songs. It's not just been a study to teach about a book. It's, it's to tap into the power in the book, through the book, the gospel, Right To begin to see frustrated, unloved, and unlovable Christians begin to feel glory again. All because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and Jesus' spirit is now doing within you. It's, we should notice that it's power. So are you seeing it? Are you feeling it? Give us a testimony. Bill at gospel-app.com. I'm going to put the best testimonies on the website. Uh, thank you for those who've sent them already. It is so gratifying. Well, in the second half of Movement 6, we're going to see a different woman. Well, I mean, she's the same queen, but something has changed inside of her. She's more inquisitive, more cheerful, more loving, more confident. And I'll show you five new freedoms that she has. I mean, gone is the paranoia, the shame-ridden woman who is hiding behind the lattice, carrying old wounds on her sleeve, running to the city to get affirmation and dope hits. She is more her. And excuse the bad grammar. And I'm guessing that's what you want, too. Yeah? So welcome to Movement 6, Part 2. That's chapter 6, verse 4 to 7, verse 10 of the Song of Songs. All right. This show is really important, so we're going to get into it really quickly after a short word from our sponsors. We will be right back. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. So here we are, new freedoms, things that she just couldn't do before she looked into the eyes of the king over and over again. All right, number one, the freedom to go. Chapter 6, verse 11, I went down to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Well, do you remember the second movement? The king was leaping and bounding over the mountain peaks. He was free. He was able to go wherever he wanted to. It just so happened that he wanted to be with her, but she couldn't do that. The contrast, we brought that up because she's trapped. She was barricaded in her self-made latticed walls, largely subconscious, right? Don't think physical. This is, she just, she wasn't free. She had to protect what little dignity that was left in her shredded soul. She was a dove hiding in dangerous clefts. 
The problem was that she was so protected that she didn't even realize that the winter rains were over and the spring had come in the land. She didn't even realize that the same walls that protected her kept the great lover king from lavishing her with love and honor and glory, the very thing that she longed for. You see, her, her midbrain was betraying her. Not evil, it's just the way it was designed to protect her. But now she shares She's going down to the garden to see if there's new life. And, of course, symbolically, that's where intimacy with the king happens. She's going down because she wants intimacy with the king. She wants to be with the king. She wants to look into his eyes. And she could have just as easily said, uh, you know, I want to go to the king's boudoir and check out if he's there and if he's awake. A more modern touch to it because she wants to be with him in his arms. And so she goes to him. The lattice is gone. There's no sense of hesitancy or paranoia or, 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 you know, asking the king, worrying about where the king might be grazing his sheep. Do you remember? She is a bold, confident queen now. Something crazy has happened to her. She has become an equal partner in the relationship. Second freedom, the freedom to be selfish. Well, I'm going to get in trouble for this one maybe. By by selfishness, I'm referring to appropriate sense of self-worth. Appropriate sense of self-worth. There is a good selfishness. Let me explain. (laughs) Don't shoot the messenger. The queen deserves to be treated like a queen. The king thinks so, by the way, for sure. And that's a good selfishness, so to speak. Take God, for instance. God is God and so is worthy of honor. And no one accuses God of self-centeredness in a bad sense for receiving worship. He is worthy. It's appropriate for him to be recognized and It's so for her. Not as much, right? But you understand, relatively speaking, she is the queen and due due to the marriage, and she deserves honor due that status. And by the way, she's a great queen, so she deserves honor due that. And no one would think less of a queen who demands what is due a queen, right? So she selfishly, in the highest possible positive sense of the word, thinks spectrum, selfish selfishness, destructive evil on one side, and a good selfishness, appropriate selfishness on the other. She's leaning towards that, right? And and she wants to experience new life, which is her prerogative. It's her covenantal right as queen to experience new growth, to taste and smell the new life in the garden. All euphemisms for those things do her because she is with him, his love, right, his embrace. And she's blossoming into the queen. She's becoming a partner, For a moment, and the king agrees. He's going to treat her as if she were a perfect queen. She has come to see that it is her right. She now chooses it just because it's the right thing to do, and she wants it now. Third freedom, the freedom to desire glory. Uh, This is Song chapter 6, verse 12. Before I realized it, my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people. I'll tell you, it's a difficult passage uh, to translate. Lots of uh, hapax legomenon, the, the only place where that word, that phrase is used. So we're, we're guessing, intelligent guesses. But, but here's, here's my uh, rough translation. I think it captures the gist of it. She says, before I was aware, my deep desire set me among my people as a royal chariot, meaning I'm honored. Uh, It's a difficult passage, right? But the sense is that her her desire, which is up until now, has been plagued with insecurity, self-loathing. It's given way to new desires that have come from his gaze to be recognized as the queen publicly. 
Uh, we Christians have picked up a no- notion that false humility is Christ-like. It is not. It is still false humility. Uh, we have learned to not expect glory that Jesus paid dearly for, to not ask for this experience of glory, uh, right? Because that's not humble. We need to be humble. Well, there's a difference between being humble because we don't believe what Jesus purchased for me and realizing humbly that I didn't earn or deserve it, but it's mine because Jesus purchased it for me. See the difference? Royal chariots or vessels of public display and honor, as they would come up, you would go, oh my goodness, look at that. And she's accepting that now. She's finally free to accept and enjoy the glory that the king gives to her. It's not hers by nature innately, but it's now hers and she's going to enjoy it. The securities or insecurities are diminished, right? And think logically with me. Is it a public acceptance of the love of Jesus, an amazing evangel for other before pictures? It's a source of deep, authentic appreciation and joy. Yeah? Um, Boy, I can remember being an insecure uh, lad and receiving an honor at the school or something, and I felt so insecure that I didn't want to walk up on stage and get that honor. I get it. I get the feeling, yeah? All right, good time for a break. We're going to be right back and look at the uh, uh, fourth freedom, yeah? What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So here's the next freedom. It's the freedom to dance. I love this one. Song 613. Come back, come back, or turn, turn, O Shulamite. Turn, turn, that we may gaze on you. Why would you gaze on the Shulamite as on the dance of Mahanayim? Here's another interpretation. Dance, so dance, O incarnation of wholeness. Dance, yeah, dance. Why would you gaze upon the queen as she does the Mahanayim dance? Again, a very difficult Verse, a bunch of hapax legomenons again. We know a little bit of Mahanaim, it was a city, and the dance is a bit of a mystery, but some suggest it's a wedding dance among Bedouin tribes. Mahanaim was a settlement just east of the Jordan River near the Jabak, right? And it's where a lot of diverse 
tribes, Bedouin tribes would have exchanged goods and services to be marketed, kind of a hub into the entire region. And at times they would have celebrated with a large dance of multiple tribes, we're guessing. And if so, it would have been magnificent. Others suggest that it refers to the angels that Jacob saw at the very same location in the Old Testament. So a heavenly rhythm, a heavenly dance, that could be, I like that. Others say it's it's armies moving on the battlefield, kind of fluidly shifting. I'm not so sure about that one, but a lot of people go with that direction. The point is, it would have been special, it would have been glorious, it would have been attractive and beautiful, and the queen dances. She doesn't demure or beg off. She's in the heat of the dance, and apparently quite a wonderful sight. She's now free to dance for the first time in her life. I have got to believe that resonates with some of you. This formerly frightened child, uh, adolescent, now dances for the king for a moment without fears of rejection or being laughed at or being put down. Isn't this a cool picture of real vulnerable worship? Prayer? Not just the mechanical, going through the motion, word-for-word stuff. This is her freely dancing before the king, capturing the, the rhythm, capturing the dance. Remember our online program, the-dance.org, uh, so we can actually learn how to dance again, to hear the music. And she's listen- she hears the music. Well, what's happened to her? The insecure, dark yet lovely teenager is blossoming before the world to see. In full color, in front of the whole country, before the king, many tribes, in, in his gaze, that's what's causing it. And she explodes in creativity uh, and art and her talent and beauty, capacity to bear life, to bring, to bring beauty into the world. Everyone can see it now. Who is this person, right? Where did she come from? I never noticed it before. Don't you want that? I do. The changes are observable to others. It should be. She does things boldly, naturally, with an inner assurance of the king's joy towards her. And that's core of what a heavenly faith, a heaven-sourced faith brings. Remember, this was the same woman in Movement One who was frozen in fear, insecurities, and paranoia. She's beginning to act like a free woman of great confidence and worth and glory. It's like a Netflix film. Imagine, are you living each day Still blaming family, blaming events, blaming COVID, blaming the economy, blaming this or that political party, or your looks or lack of looks or health or lack of health or circumstances, your job or lack of job, the the things that happened to you today or happened to you yesterday or, or even back in childhood. I get it. No judgment from me. That's my knee jerk reactionary behavior too, but sons and daughters of God. There's another glorious option that Jesus paid for. That's the point of this Old Testament gospel. Look at the queen. She had family of origin issues too. She had mommy and daddy issues too. But in his gaze, the same gaze that you can see through faith, she's beginning to act like a person of confidence and shalom. She's actually beginning to act like a queen. Royal. This is what the love of the king does. And it turns out, who knew? She's quite a woman. Yeah. The king only gazes at her and praises her. Listen to another wasp, chapter 7, verses 1 to 9. 
How beautiful are your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels. The work of a craftsman hands your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. By the way, if you're going to do this, if you're going to mention this to your wife, husband, don't use this verse, right? (laughs) Beauty is culturally specific. I just can't see how this would be taken well by anybody today. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Same thing. Mounds of wheat. I don't think so. Your breasts are like two fawns. Okay, that, that, this could work. Twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bathrabim. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Uh, I don't know. It seems what, uh, whatever scratches your itch. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. He's held captive by the beauty. He can't turn away. That's the idea. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, O love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm and your breast like clusters of fruit. I said I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breast be like clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. May the wine go straight to my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. Song 7, 1 to 9. Look, you get the feel for all of this. These are two people who are in love and who are feeling loved by the other. It's just a joy. And and again, be careful saying this to your spouse, right? Beauty is culturally. Uh, but she would have understood that, and so would he. So verses 8 and 9. That's lovemaking. That's intimacy. That's, that's two adults who are feeling loved by each other. Verse 10. This, this is it. This is the covenant. I belong to my lover and his desires for me. She gets it. She is so confident in that. She, the oxytocin, the bonding hormone in her brain is just, is just pouring. She feels safe in his arms. She feels loved. She feels honored. Whew. Uh, You want that, don't you? It's a reclamation of Edenic love. In Genesis 3.16, the same word, desire, is part of the curse. It involved a desire that was selfish and struggling for control and mastery over the other, like most marriages, frankly. But now this Tashuka has been redeemed to its original power. Her lover's desire is not selfish, or a desire to control, manipulate, subjugate, use, abuse. He desires her as a woman of glory, appreciation, cherishing. There's no sense of misogyny. This is, this is that desire to shuka that's in the Trinity, one for each other. So I, I want you to hear this quote again. We've said it before, but I want you to see it now in this framework of this renewed queen who is acting like an equal in the relationship. Not an equal to God and the king in substance or glory, but an equal participant in the relationship. It's mysterious. I mean, i got to speak humanly here. At this point in time, forget egalitarian and complementarian debate for a minute. She wouldn't have dared to do this before, but now she, she can because she's experienced the gaze of the... Of, of the king, this love of God for the unlovable, unloved, and unlovely through his measuring gaze, through his eyes. And it changes her. That's such great news for beat up, frustrated, messy, messy Christians. Here's one commentator, right? Here's the quote describing this mutual love between the king and the queen in the song. All right, listen. 
The relationship between the man and the woman is, in the first place, a reciprocal relationship, one of mutuality and equal participation. The man relates as a man and the woman as a woman. So in our case, God relates as God and, and, and we relate as humans, with each belonging to and desiring the other. Wow. Each addresses the other, delights in the other, and in his or her love, their love is expressed in kisses and embraces, sought and delighted in and by each one. The man and the woman equally find nourishment in the love of the other. Each takes the initiative and goes out to the other. The man and the woman delight in the attractiveness of the other. Each one claims that the other is beautiful. The man admires the beauty of the woman in a way which points to her distinctive female features. Likewise, the woman admires the man in a way which delights in his maleness. There is no sense of domination of one by the other, no suggestion of priority or of one being the initiator more than the other. There is an equal partnership in this relationship of love. Remember, in movement two, it was just him initiating it. In movement three, it was him initiating it. The relationship between the man and the woman in the song, then, is one where each participates equally and mutually as a man or as a woman toward the other. There is initiative and response by both of the lovers to each other. No note of priority or subordination intrudes, except as each is subordinate to the other in love. Yet, there is no blurring of their maleness and femaleness, right, of their godhood or their humanity. To do that would be to render this vibrant song bland. You want some of that? (laughs) Yeah, you do. Uh, Me too. More. So I have a few moments, and so I want to give you some before pictures, no judgment. We've all been before pictures. It seems like I wake up every day a before picture, right? But uh, I think this will give insight into the need that's out there, and maybe you can relate to that. So here's a quote from Elizabeth Wurzel and her insightful book. It's hard to read, but, but so vulnerable, Prozac Nation, and she is the before picture. Um, right? No relation to the king that I know of. I mean, she's, uh, she's passed away now. I don't, I don't know where she landed. But she's stuck in her own very real, powerful vineyard, really strangled behind her lattice. Okay, listen, Elizabeth Wurzel in Prozac Nation. I start to get the feeling that something is really wrong, like all the drugs put together that that I take to sleep at night can no longer combat whatever it is that was wrong with me in the first place. I feel like a defective model, like I came off the assembly line, flat out effed, and my parents should have taken me back for repairs before the warranty ran out. But that was so long ago, I start to think There really is no cure for depression, that happiness is an ongoing battle, and I wonder if it isn't one I'll have to fight for as long as I live. I wonder if it's worth it. I start to feel like I can't maintain the facade any longer, that I may just start to show through, and I wish I knew what was wrong. Maybe something about how stupid my whole life is, I don't know. My dreams are polluted with paralysis. I regularly have night visions where my legs, though attached to my body, just don't move much. I have nowhere to turn. Nowhere. My mother, I sense, has just kind of given up on me, decided that she isn't sure how she raised this, well, this thing 
this rock and roll girl who has violated her body with a tattoo and a nose ring. And though she loves me very much, she no longer wants to be the one I run to. My father has never been the one I run to. We last spoke a couple years ago. I don't even know where he is. And then there are my friends, and they have their own lives. While they like to talk everything through to analyze and hypothesize, what I really need, what I'm really looking for, is not something I can articulate. It's nonverbal. I need love. I need the thing that happens when your brain shuts off and your heart turns on. And I know it's around me somewhere, but I just can't feel it. I'm sure that I have nowhere to run, that I can't even walk anywhere without tripping and falling way down. And I know I want out of this mess. I want out. No one will ever love me. I will live and die alone. I will go nowhere fast. I will be nothing at all. Nothing will work out. The promise that on the other side of depression lies a beautiful life, one worth surviving suicide for, will have turned out wrong. It will all be a big dupe. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. I mean, this world, is, it's a nasty place, and it beats us up. We've all been beat up. Uh, I just love how she puts it, though. It really grabs, grabs my heart. Uh, Here's a more recent one from Amy Poehler, the comedian, SNL comedian, among other things. She described an inner voice that she has, a demon voice, and here's what she says. This very patient and determined demon shows up in your bedroom one day and refuses to leave. You're 6 or 12 or 15, you look in the mirror, and you hear a voice so awful and mean that it takes your breath away. It tells you you're fat and ugly and you don't deserve love. And the scary part is the demon is your own voice. The good news is there are ways to make it stop talking. The bad news is that it never goes away. It's sitting quietly, waiting for you. It says, take your time. It says, go fall in love and exercise and surround yourself with people who make you feel beautiful. It says, don't worry, I'll wait. And then one day you go through a breakup or you can't lose your baby weight and you just look at your reflection in a soup spoon and that slimy booger is back. It moves its sour mouth up to your ear and reminds you that you're fat and ugly and don't deserve love. Well, Christian, Christian lady, Christian man, to you as you are, the king, a different voice, says, Hanak Yafa Rayati, Hanak Yafa. Look at you, my beloved, beautiful. Look at you. So, how? Let's say the simple uncluttered gospel one more time. Say it aloud. Say it really loud. Right? I have found that this works. And I want you to say it twice a day for 45 days because we're working on, we're fighting habit with habit. We're fighting habit with power. Word for word, please. So, here it is. Jesus follower, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart, as much as the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? 
Simple. Good news. There is something that you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the Spirit inside of you to make you know, experience, and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. Well, all right, next time we're going to move into Movement 7. Um, my first book, A Must Read on the Song of Songs, The Kiss of God, is available on Amazon. I'm still writing my updated book on the Song of Songs, but I've shifted short-term to a book on overlooked and underappreciated women in the Old Testament. It's a great read. I'm so pleased with it. Uh, these women, man, you know, they've flown under the radar for so long. You might not even know their stories, but they deserve to tell them and it's going to be it's going to be great well if you want to know when the book's going to be published get on the information list bill at gospel-app.com and i'm begging you to get the word out about this podcast series right Uh, even from the very beginning it's for underachieving christians who are frustrated with their christian experience and that's all of us no judgment christians there's more The Song of Songs is a primer for that. God is not disappointed in you. He's saying over you right now, well done, good and faithful servant, all because of Jesus. But your ears are so stopped up with shame and guilt that you can't hear it. And we're we're trying to fix that, right? Say the simple, uncluttered gospel, but listen to the series. And I imagine that as I said all those things, the Spirit brought someone to, to, to your mind that could benefit from this. Maybe many. Send them a link, forward it to them, put it in an email, put it on your social media, have coffee with them. Another favor, make sure you follow this podcast. I'm beginning a new series on September 24th. Back in February, I did a three-part podcast series on the love of God for the unlovable, the unloved, and the unlovely. It was around Valentine's Day. It was very popular, very well-received. So many of you not only listened to them, but passed them on. Thanks, by the way. So I'm reprising and expanding and clarifying the series, building upon it. I've updated the core three podcasts, Your Brain in Love, right? What Happens in Your Brain, Ancient History of Love, and Silencing of Eros. The last two have to do with uh, the, the ancient Romans' view of love. Those three podcasts alone were designed to help us see more clearly just how confusing the whole topic of love really is today, even within the church. Our view of love looks so much more like the ancient Romans than Paul's. Then uh, we turn, after those three, we turn to look at case studies of just what happens when the unloved, the unlovely, and the unlovables bump into God's love. There's the unlovable Samaritan woman, the rich young ruler, the prostitute. We will likely go to the Old Testament as well. Gomer, that's an amazing study of God's intervention for a sex addict. Oh, my goodness. Well, you get the idea. Starting September 24th, it'll go till uh, we begin our Christmas series. This could, I'm telling you, this could really ignite real change in your life, your family, your worship, your prayers, uh, your church, and, and hey, look, maybe even the country. All right. So please follow, pass on the word about the gospel rant. It's very important. If there were a thousand people who followed or better commented about this show, oh my goodness, you'd be surprised about how many people, uh, random people would take a chance and listen to the gospel rant for 30 minutes. Could change lives. Send me comments. I'll post the best on my website, bill at gospel-app.com. Thanks to Life Audio for their support. And as always, take heart, child of God. I found myself on a ledge, three stories high, at some condominiums, contemplating my life and struggling to understand my purpose. Have you ever found yourself on the ledge? My name is Billy Yates. I'm a caring father, mentor, and friend. And my new podcast, 
Billy and the Goat. I share the life-changing events that shaped who I am today to remind you that no matter how far you've fallen, God can help you get up and thrive. Listen now at lifeaudio.com.